There are many on the market, multi-use tools, advertised to fix any leak or build any shed. This multi-use tool is for you. And it's at a low price of $19.99 and you'll get another free if you call within the first 20 minutes. In all seriousness, my point is that there are tools that have multiple, multiple purpose, it's one thing and it can do many different things and we find such a tool in our passage this morning. So our text is James chapter one and just three verses, verses 19 through 21 and our theme is this. The tool that was used to bring us new life is the tool that is used to instruct us in living this new life. I'll repeat that. It's the tool that was used to bring us new life is the tool that is used to instruct us in living this new life. James 1.18, if you look back there with me, that was the, the verse that we left off on in our passage last week. James 1.18 said this, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We learned in this verse, in verse 18, that the Word of God is the tool with which God uses to bring us to new life. It, he uses it to cause us to be born again, to be transformed into this new life. James, in our passage then, is continuing to speak about this Word of God. We're going to have to wait till the third verse, the, the last verse of these three verses uh, to see what James says concerning the Word of God again. And in the two verses that we're going to look at first and that James uh, gives us first in verses 19 and 20, they really prime the way uh, for this discussion to continue about the Word of God. So James begins this passage by giving three interrelated commands. Look with me at verse 19. This is how he begins our passage. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James says, listen first, spare your words, be calm, cool, and collected. Okay, and what I want to do is I want to take each of these one at a time. I want, to, want us to look at what each of these phrases means, but also as we do so, we're going to see how they're interrelated. These aren't just three commands that have no connection to one another, but there certainly is a connection. There's a chain that is being made, but I want, to, want us to look at what each of these means, because each phrase, I would say, is loaded. The first command James gives is, let every person be quick to hear. Listen first is the first command that James gives. And I think this is a challenge for most of us. Listen first. Be quick to hear. Just think about it. Are you the type of person that as people talk with you more often than not, you zone out? You start thinking about something else. You don't hear a word they say. Uh, your, your eyes may even glaze over. As they're talking with you, as they're watching you, your eyes almost might glaze over because you're thinking about something else and you miss most of what they say. Are you the type of person that has trouble listening, not because you're zoning out, but you are eager to get a word in? Okay? Someone says something to you and you cut them off trying to get in your thought, your opinion, your stance. Are you the type of person that doesn't need advice? You don't ask for other people's insight. You know what is right. You know what is best. Are you the type of person who's sitting through a sermon just, just like this? You have trouble listening. You zone out. 
you fall asleep, you think about your own approach to the passage. We have trouble doing what James says here, being quick to hear. We often aren't good listeners. We don't want to hear other people's thoughts and ideas. When it comes down to it, we don't care what they have to say. James is saying here, Christians need to be listeners. Christians need to be those who have their eyes open. This needs to be our initial posture. Okay, as we go to talk with people, as we enter a room, as we enter this sanctuary, our initial posture has to be not to speak, not to, not to talk, but to listen, to hear. There are some consequences when you don't listen first. If you don't listen first, people eventually won't want to talk to you. Okay, it's a pretty big turnoff when you're talking with someone and, and their eyes just start to glaze over. You see their attention drifts. You know they're not listening, and once or twice is, is fine. But if this is the constant way as you talk with them, you notice they don't listen. Anytime I speak with them, eventually you're going to just quit talking with them. When you have to ask your spouse for the 10th time that day, wait, repeat what you said? Or they ask you to recount what they just told you and you cannot, eventually they might stop confiding or, or sharing those real meaningful and personal things with you. When you talk with someone at church and you're thinking about other things and they realize that you're not catching a word of what they're saying, then they just might avoid making conversation with you. There's no point they don't listen. So we think about consequences. If you don't listen first, you might miss vital information and in so doing, jump to wrong conclusions. We're going to see later on in this message, I'm going to bring out some Proverbs, as Proverbs has a lot to say with what James is saying here. But just one here, James 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Okay, if you're in the middle of a conversation with someone and you're talking, maybe you're trying to figure out something, and you cut in before you heard all the information, before you heard everything they had to say, you might jump to a wrong conclusion as you missed very important information. If you don't listen first, as we think about consequences, you might miss the opportunity to learn. Sometimes, as I've thought about our world, as I've thought about our interactions, I've wondered if we've lost the art of learning. The art of being just taught by someone else, believing that someone else may know more than us. Being teachable is a unique trait. It's hard to find that in people. We think we know what's best. We think we know more. We think we know what is right. We're not looking for, for someone uh, to give us advice, to give us counsel. We don't look to those who do know more than us, those who maybe have lived longer and know more than us, those who could be a great mentor, a great teacher to us. Our usual posture is not to look for counsel. We aren't looking for advice. So we totally miss the opportunity to grow in our understanding. So the first command here by James is, listen first. Be quick to hear. Be swift to zip it and take in what others have to say. The second command, Second command, if you look at verse 19, he says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Spare your words is the next command. 
So James gives something they should be quick at, something that they should do in an, in an instant. They should do this immediately. They should hear. They should listen. And now he tells them something they should hesitate to do, something that they should delay. And that is to say a word. We can see, see how being quick to hear and now slow to speak go hand in hand. I've, I've talked a lot about how we often say something instead of speaking. We can see how these two go hand in hand. Our natural reaction is to speak. Something happens, we want to say something about it. We're told something and we want to tell it to someone. We voice our opinions, speak aloud the thoughts we have. We are often quick to speak, swift to say something. Words just come flowing out of our mouths without any thought, without any restraint. We struggle to hold back our words. And if you think about the culture that we live in, not to knock the culture, not to nail the culture, but just to think about the temptations that are around us, our world entices us and encourages us to speak our minds and, and to speak it quick. You do something, post it immediately on the internet. You encounter something, you want to tweet it. You have an opinion on something, you share it. Immediately, without a second thought, we can speak to a whole audience on social media, on the internet. But also as you think about TV shows, I think about uh, a TV show on a sports channel I occasionally watch, and, and the show is all about having an opinion and saying it quick. Okay, last night's sports, they are making opinions, they're drawing conclusions from the, ve the very next morning. And, and of course, they end up saying some pretty wild things and even at times offensive things because they're saying it quick, they're not thinking about it, they're getting it out there and not thinking about the ramifications. It's encouraged in our society, have an opinion, get it out to people so that they can hear. It's encouraged in our society, speak your mind, tell us how you really feel. It's encouraged in our society, be quick to speak. So it's our initial, it's our natural reaction, but it's also the world's view when it comes to our world, our words. And James says, this is not how the Christian is to be. The Christian slogan should not be slow to hear, quick to speak, but quick to hear, slow to speak. Listen first, spare your words. This phrase, slow to speak, is, is really just the beginning, or it's the, the start of something that we're going to encounter again and again and again in James, and that is the subject or the topic of words. If you look with me at James 1.26, so a couple verses down, we find we, uh, James speaks about our words. Again, James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Look with me at James 2.12. So a chapter over, 2.12 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We're not going to read it all, but James 3.1-12 is a trustees on the subject of words. Okay, It's many, many verses given to words. Look with me at James 4.11. James chapter 4, verse 11. Our words are come up again. It says in James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And then James 5.9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at 
the door. So there are others as well, but we're going to see time and time again, we come to this subject or this topic of words, which as we think about it is a really good thing because I think we need to be challenged with the words we say, how much we say. We need to be reminded of this as Christians. So just like we considered consequences, if we don't listen first, I want us to consider consequences that come when you don't spare your words, when you're swift to say something, when you're the first to speak, when you don't think before you speak, when you multiply your words. And the first consequence I want to give is, if you don't spare your words, you often say something you regret. Time and time again, I walk away from a conversation, I'm at home, and I regret the things that I say. Something that I said was hurtful, something that wasn't said well, something that wasn't said at the right time, or I just said too much. If we don't spare our words, we are going to regret the things that we say. Another consequence, if you do not spare your words, you end up sinning with your words. And as I said, we come back to the Proverbs. And the Proverbs have, have a lot to say about these consequences. They have something to say about our sinning with our words. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Evil things, sinful things just come out. Another consequence, if you don't spare your words, you will have problems and issues in life. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 21.23, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And then Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So we see in James 3, specifically the consequences that can come uh, from the words we speak. So when we get to James 3, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see the consequences and the many consequences that can come from our words. And then one last consequence. If you do not spare your words, you reveal things that should, be kept, should have been kept quiet. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So often when we are running our mouths, we begin to, to talk about things or to spread things that should have never been spoken. It's hard to keep things confidential when you're going a mile a minute with your mouth. You bring up things, you bring up topics, you bring up people, that should have never been shared. And you quickly, as you think about the consequence of your words, you quickly become someone that people never confide in. So we'll see, as I said, we'll see more consequences um, from our words later in chapter 3. But what James says here in this second command practically looks like someone who thinks before they speak. You're someone that when you have nothing good to say, you don't say anything. You don't feel like you have to fill every silent second with words. You have a filter that your words process. They come to your mind, and you think, is this a good thing, or is this a bad thing to say? Should I speak this, or should I not? You have a filter when it comes to your words. Is this what you strive for, or is this what you'll strive for going forward? That is the command that we get here. Be slow to speak, spare 
your words. Now we move to the third command. If you look again with me at verse 19, James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then the third command is slow to anger. Be calm, cool, and collected is the third command that James gives. By being slow to anger, James is saying, do not give in to everything that makes you feel upset. And as you think about anger, there is an anger that is right. In Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, Paul says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin... Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul shows in Ephesians that it is okay to be angry at times, but even these times can become sinful pretty quickly. Anger is something that even God has. As we see the same exact word, just translated wrath, in Romans 12, 19, referring to God. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. The anger of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God's anger is stoked at sin. This should be what our anger, if we're going to have ang anger at all, it should be directed towards sin, towards wrongdoing. But again, we need to make sure it doesn't turn sinful. More often than not, as you think about your anger, it's, it's more often than not directed towards mistakes people make, people being forgetful. When we don't get our way, when we're having a bad day, we become quick-tempered. We become a hothead. We have angry outbursts. We become bitter and resentful. Our anger is often directed towards the wrong things. Not the things that God is angry at, but the, the wrong things. And additionally, our anger is often not controlled, and it leads quickly to more sin. That's what James is saying here. He's not saying never be angry. But he's saying, be cautious when it comes to anger. When you start to feel yourself boil, when you are pretty upset inside, make sure first that what you're upset at is even correct. Okay? That's something that you should even be angry at. And then second, make sure you don't lose control. Watch your thoughts. Be careful that you don't sin. If you compare this to what James says about our words, he says, be slow to speak. He's not saying, never say a word, don't you ever speak, but he's saying, enter into every word cautiously. Don't speak your mind. And now with slow to anger, James is saying, be cautious when it comes to being angry. Don't give credence to every time you are upset. You may be sinning by being angry, and even if your anger is directed towards the right thing, it can quickly become sinful, as you maybe have bitterness, or you have resentment towards someone else. Back to Proverbs. Proverbs 14.29 communicates these same thoughts. It says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 29.11 does as well. It says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So I said there would be another consequence to, to not being sparing with your Words, or we find another consequence to not being sparing with our words, and it's here with this third command be calm, cool, and collected. And I believe we can relate. At times when you're already hot with anger, you're, you're upset inside and you're irritated, the more you talk, 
The more you talk about that thing, the more angry you get. You rile yourself up, you continue, continue your angry outburst of words about someone or something, and you get madder and madder. The more you talk, the madder you get. As you continue to let loose on that person you're angry at, you get more and more upset. Not being slow to speak, especially in your anger, can cause you to become more and more angry and sin in your anger. Sparing your words and being calm, cool, and collected go hand in hand. So we see in one sense that James's three commands are a chain. They, they are interrelated. But let's consider this anger for further, and I, I want you to think about yourself. Okay, Think about yourself, and you may not honestly realize how angry of a person you are. Consider about yourself. Are you one who, rather than being slow to anger, you're quick-tempered? Are you one who easy, is easily irritated? You're not patient. You snap at people. You quickly lose your cool. Adults, you're trying to get a hold of customer service on the phone. And you've been taken through multiple extensions and have talked to several people who don't seem like they know what they're talking about, and you angrily hang up. Husbands, your wife forgets her phone inside the house, and she gets a lecture from you. Wives, your husband doesn't understand what you're trying to say, and you audibly groan in frustration. Parents, your child knocks over their glass of water at the dinner table by accident, and you light them up with your words. Bosses, or those who manage people at work, your employees miss a deadline, and you continue to bring it up again and again and again, even though they've proven that they're a hard worker now. Kids who have brothers and sisters, your sibling wants to do something with you, and you snap at them and tell them, tell them to, to leave you alone. You've got too much homework to do. Teens, your parents won't let you hang out with your friends, so you slam your door to your bedroom, and you text your friends in rage about how much you hate your parents. Adults, the kids innocently hurry by you in the north, narthex here at church, and you are greatly agitated. We need this command this morning. We are easily provoked. It doesn't take too much to make us upset. We get mad at things that aren't sinful. We are frustrated more often than not. We are angry Christians. James is saying, this shouldn't be. So James gives these three commands, and then he continues on with the third concerning anger, and he gives the reason why we should not be angry Christians. Look with me at James 1.20. James 1.20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And just taking verse 19, leading into 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we get the reason James is saying, be slow to anger. And it's because this is not in accordance with God's standard of right living. When James here speaks of producing the righteousness of God, he's, not, he's in no way speaking about earning or working towards your salvation, but he's speaking of living out that salvation. He's speaking about pursuing a righteous life, a righteous lifestyle as laid out by God for his people. And James's point here is that anger 
does not accomplish this. The outcome of our anger is not righteousness. It does not lead to godly living. And if you think about your anger, okay, if, and I think we all have been angry, there's a point where you justify it in your mind, or maybe you even justify it to people, and you say, I'm right to be angry. It's right for me to be, feel this way. It's right for me to be so upset. You feel like you're in the right, and what you are provoked against is completely in the wrong, and, and they deserve your wrath. But James says here, you're wrong. You're not right to act this way, to be so angry. You are not justified in your sinful anger. It does not produce the righteousness of God. I have a memory of my anger that has, has stuck with me. Okay, And this, this memory has stuck with me because of what my anger produced. Can't remember how old I was. Though I know I was in elementary or, or early middle school, I can't remember why I was so angry, and I can't even remember who I was angry at. But I can remember in my anger, stomping up the stairs, going off to, to one of the side rooms that were upstairs, a room that held yarn and large sewing needles. Remember, I'm stomping. I'm stomping up the stairs. I go off to this room, and I continue stomping into the room, and I didn't realize that my foot was about to come down on one of those needles. And I stomped and ended up stomping into a rel relatively thick needle with my foot, and it got lodged into the middle of my foot. Somehow it didn't go all the way through. I'm not sure how it didn't. But my anger did not produce the righteousness of God but it produced great pain. And I'm sure many of you can think about the aftermath of your anger. It did not lead you to good conduct. It didn't lead you to kind words. It did not lead to restored relationships or peaceful uh, decisions. But it may have torn apart a friendship. Or over time, and after an angry outburst, after angry outburst, your marriage was in shambles. It may have produced great pain to the person you flipped out on. It may have produced a broken hand as you punched a wall in your anger. You may have even, if God brought conviction on you, you may have even repented and said, I was wrong to feel this way. Don't believe the lie, and that's what I'll call it a lie, that we so often believe that you are right to be angry, because more often than not, you're not right to be angry. James's point, James makes this point, your anger is not righteous, it's not correct, it's not the godly way to live. We must listen to the word of God for the sake of our households. If you think about your family, if you think about your house, that is often where anger festers. You're comfortable with your children, you're comfortable with your spouse, you're comfortable with those people that you're living with, and that is, they are usually the people that you take your anger out on. You're willing to get upset and irritated the quickest. And James says, this is not right. Don't let rage fester, and here specifically, in your home. We must listen to the word of God for the sake of our church. Bitterness, resentment, frustration, angry thoughts and feelings are often harbored towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not right, James says. As the Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church, let's not let sinful anger fester here among us. Be calm, cool, and collected. God does not call us to be angry. He calls us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
So now we move to the third verse. And we find that James moves more broadly. So he's been talking about specific sins, sinful speech that can come out of uh, not being slow with your words. And he, he talks specifically about anger. And, and now in verse 21, he addresses all sin. He goes from uh, more specific sins to now more broad, more general. In last week's passage, we considered temptation and sin. Look back with me at James 1, 14 and 15. Look back with me at James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. He talked about temptation and sin. He said, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So temptation and sin. And then at the end of this passage, we found what state we're in because of God's saving work in our life. And we already read this verse, but I want to read it because it's crucial. James 1.18. God's saving work that comes through his word. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James is showing in our passage today that how we are to live after God has done this saving work in our life. He's, he's showing after he has caused us to be born again, how should we live? What should our relationship with temptation and sin be? So James has just given some commands about some specific sins, and now he addresses them all. He addresses all sins, and he shows what relationship to temptation and sin someone who has been born again should have. Look with me at verse 21. James 1.21. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the first thing we find is James saying, take off your muddy, sinful shirt. He says again in verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away is literally take off, like take off your clothing. Take off your muddy clothing. And here, it's referring to mud or dirt. As we get this word, all filthiness. Here it's dirty, it's filthy clothing that is the picture as he's, he's talking about. He says, put away all filthiness. All filthiness is speaking of moral uncleanness, sin, that which is not, not right but evil. And I want us to notice here, as I said, James kind of is referring to some specific sins in the beginning. And now he's bringing us to all. Or he's, it's a broad uh, talk on sin as he says, all filthiness, therefore put away all. And I want to focus in on this word all for a moment. All filthiness. He says all, not some, not most, but all those sins that make you dirty and need a shower. I think kids and even adults, you probably can, can remember living at home with your parents. And if you put yourself in this scenario, I bet for sure that your parents would not say, take off your muddy shirt. Sure, go ahead, wear your muddy shoes around the house. No, they would say, get it all off. No mud in the house. And that's the picture being presented here. All moral filthiness, all sin, all rebellion, all wickedness needs to come off. As a Christian, we can't say this sin, 
I'll leave over here in this corner, it's okay, and I'll address the other ones. So I'd ask you, so, ask you to search yourself. Do you have sins in your life that you're letting go? It's as if they're acceptable, or to use the phrase in the title of Jerry Bridges' book, respectable. Do we have respectable sins, sins that we're doing and, and we let go, we even accept and think they're fine and even okay? You will make sure you're not sinning in certain ways. You've worked hard and you've prayed hard about certain sins, but others, you've left off the hook. And I think as we think about the specific ones that James already talked about, might anger or sinning with our running mouths be the sins that we often leave off the hook. James says, take off all filthiness, all of it, not just some of it, we should be addressing every single sin in our life. Further, James says, rampant wickedness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, which means evil in abundance. We sin a lot. James speaks of the abundance of our wickedness. We have a lot of sin that needs addressed. We shouldn't be tempted to think that, yeah, I sin every once in a while. I, I probably have sinned five times this week. No, it's, it's every hour, it's every moment that we often fall into sin. As we even just think about our, our thought life and pursuing some of those thoughts, we might be blind to sin if we don't think that we have rampant wickedness or, or evil in abundance in our lives as James speaks about. So as we think about these, these two phrases that James is addressing here. As you think about your life, you might think, I'm, I'm pretty good. And even as you think about when you were first converted, you might say, yeah, I was pretty good, nothing terrible. I didn't have major sins I, w I was doing or, or am now committing. And as we think about this, it's not the right perspective. As James says, all filthiness, rampant wickedness, James is talking about our sin right here, right now. We're dirty, we're filthy, we're filled with sin, sinful actions, thoughts, words, He's just addressed words and anger. And James is saying, this is something that you need to do now. Get these off. Get rid of them. James is like the mom, and, mom or dad that walks into the living room, sees their child in dirty outside clothes, and says, take them off now. And as we think about the second half of the verse, the second thing that we find James speaks about here is our relationship when he talks about our relationship with temptation and sin, is the tool that teaches us how to live. As I started about in, with in the beginning, saying we get here, here it is. If you look with me at James 1.21, we find this tool. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then it's this part of the verse. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So if this isn't how we're to live, those sins, the filthiness that James has just talked about, how are we? What should we replace with these things? How do we learn how to live a life apart from sin? James addresses it here in this verse. And as I already mentioned in James 1.18, we see that God worked through his word. He worked through his word to, to bring us to new life, to, to convict of us of our sins and bring us to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God's word is the instrument, it's the tool 
that brought about our initial transformation. It begins the Christian life. It's, the part, of the, it's part of the start to the Christian life. And we find here that we don't leave the Word of God in the dust as we move on in our Christian life. This is the tool that continues to work on us for the entirety of our Christian lives. From beginning to end, the Word of God has and should have a very influential place in our lives. That is what James is talking about here. And here we find it's in teaching us to live a righteous and godly life. Teaching us what does it look like to to live as a Christian. Teaching us to live apart from sin. The Word of God here is, is presented to us as our instructor, our professor, our teacher. And James says here, be a good listener. Be teachable. When it comes to the Word of God, As he says, if you look with me at the second half of this verse, the first part says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness. James is saying, accept the word. Don't think you know what is best. Be willing to learn. The word meekness speaks of not thinking thinking of yourself as the greatest. Here in this context, it's thinking you are beyond the need to be instructed or to be taught Here we find that every Christian needs to be a student of the Word of God, learning how they are to live their lives. We're to receive the Word of God with meekness, to accept it, to be willing to sit under its teaching. And the specific phrase that talks about the Word of God in this verse is when James speaks of its implanted Word. As he says, receive with meekness the implanted Word, which speaks of God's Word being permanently within those who are born again. We could say we're stuck with it. There's no leaving it in the dust once it has transformed our lives. And it seems like James, when he says the implanted word, it seems like he's going back to what we find in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with you, the house of Israel, after these, those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So we're told to learn from the word of God. And the result we're given at the very end is receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is not speaking here about the initial moment of salvation like he already did in James 1.18. But here by speaking of saving your soul, James is speaking of, of the process of becoming more and more like Christ. We find then that the word of God is used to cause us to be born again, to have new life but also to transform us in this new life. So where does James leave us off at this point? What should we walk away from this passage being challenged to do? James has given us commands of how we should conduct ourselves, things we should not do, things we should get rid of in our lives. And then at the very end here, he gives us a tool or an instrument to do so, and that is the Word of God. That's the Bible that we hold in our hands right now. And as we hopefully were convicted of our difficulty in not speaking, as we were hopefully convicted concerning our problem with anger, as we thought about the sins that we let off the hook, as we were hopefully convicted about the abundance of sin that is still a struggle, 
And as we think about living as someone who is born again, James tells us what should influence us. What will help us confront these sins and struggles? What it is that will help us toward Christ-likeness and purity and a life that fights those sins that we struggle with? And that is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that James offers to us in this passage. He says, receive it with meekness, accept it, sit under it as a student, be a good listener of the Word of God. And I would ask you to consider, are you? Are you a student of the Word of God? And I'm not, though it's a very good thing, I'm not saying you're always studying, you're always meticulously studying, but I'm just saying listening to it, taking it in, reading it. One of the things as I think about my studies to be a pastor, both in Bible college and in seminary, that I I greatly desired and I tried to do so when I could, was to sit under the best professors, the the professors that that knew the most or or were especially gifted in a a certain area. It was a great desire when I, I did my studies to be a pastor. And I would ask you, is this how you view God's word? Do you view it as the best tool? the best guide to living a godly life? Do you see it as the tool to help you with your sin problem? Do you diligently listen to it, paying attention as you read it? Or do your eyes glaze over? You get to an end of a page and not a word has been processed. Do you read it devotionally and not just intellectually to gain some knowledge? Do you value the time that you get to sit here on a Sunday morning under the preaching and the teaching of the word of God? Do you seek to be challenged by it, to evaluate, evaluate your life as the Word of God is preached? Do you seek out additional opportunities to hear the Word of God preached and taught in Sunday school, in the Sunday evening service, in Bible studies? The call of this passage is to put yourself under the instruction and then listening to the Word of God. This is what teaches us to live in this new life. Are you doing so? Are you being a good listener to the Word of God? Next week, our passage is is very connected. We certainly could have went on to it today, but I thought there was enough in this passage to look at, and we find next week, or we'll find next week, more about this and, and maybe even a clarification of what it means to be a good listener of the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the challenges that we met uh, in this text. Lord, as we think about listening, as we think about speaking, as we think about our anger, even as we thought about all sin, even those sins that we often let go, we often ignore, we, we just accept them and allow them to fester in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take off these sins, to put them away, just like we would a muddy shirt or muddy shoes Lord, help us to work at this, to strive for this, to be intentional about this. But Lord, also, I pray that you would help us to be students of your word, people that read it, people that listen to it, people that value and desire when it's taught and preached and we listen, we try to glean from your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be good listeners of your word, which ultimately teaches us how to live the Christian life, how to live as a believer, how to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. I pray that it would be your word that we would go to. Lord, help us to be intentional about listening to your word. And in your name I pray.
Amen.